Good morning, everyone. Nice to be back with you. Nice, appreciated Pastor Dylan's word last week. He did such a great job. I'm starting to get intimidated by his speaking ability. He, uh, he did quite the job on the first Ten Commandments, and as he mentioned, my parents have just been in a time of transition where we have to begin to figure out what to do with them because they're not quite at a need for 24-hour care, but they really can't care for themselves. So you might actually get the privilege of seeing my parents on a regular basis, but I want to say thank you to each of you who've been praying for that. Really appreciate it and uh, grateful. So I'd like for us to pick back up on our series on Exodus, and we're, we're kind of winding this down, but we've gone out from Egypt and now into the wilderness, and we've seen the bitter waters, and, and we've heard the last five commandments, which tend to be horizontal. And we often talk about the commandments as being both vertical and horizontal, that the first five have to do with our relationship with God, and the last five have to do with our relationship to each other. And you might say, well, in the first five, you have honor your mother and father. How does that have to do with a vertical kind of relationship to God? And we'll talk about that. But each of those first five have to do with us showing our devotion and love to God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second five, love your neighbor as yourself. In this, the whole law is summed up. And so I'd like to pray as we read from Exodus chapter 20. So if you're online and you want to grab your Bible or you want to open up your app or you're here this morning and you'd like to follow along, you can do that. It's not going to show on the screen, but I am going to read through verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 12. Let's pray as we get ready here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would speak. You say that you honor your word above your name. Your law is life. Lord, we delight to do your will. We thank you that we've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ through the blood that he shed. And Father, that you fiercely defend us, that you lovingly care for us, that you constantly lead us. And even when we think that you're not present, Lord, you've gone before us and you're about us, Lord. I just thank you so much that we don't wander, but we walk the walk of faith. And so we just want to say today, this morning, we trust you. And we pray that these words would give a path for our potential to glorify you and for you to be glorified in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. It was so good to see the Legros here this morning. I know you guys have been coming on and off. I catch you leaving every once in a while, but it's so good to see you. I want you to know my son still uses all of those tools and he's still pounding metal out in the backyard. It's, it's really appreciate you guys. For those of you that don't know, Ed has been um, in, the, in the welding union for years, and he saw my son had an interest in forging stuff, and so I gave him a whole bunch of tools. I didn't even know half the tools like that existed. I thought it was like old dentistry stuff, like pull your teeth out and that kind of thing. Well, when we're talking about the Ten Commandments, a lot of people often like to say that they are the first law code in the world, like the whole world was in chaos, and there was no law anywhere, and so God sent the Ten Commandments. But the truth is, is when you look at the ancient world, you see other codes like this one, this one by a guy by the name of Lipid Istar. He was in Iraq in that area, in Kuwait, that zone that was known as Sumner, Babylon, Assyria. And it dates all the way back to almost 2000 BC, way, way back. And then the more famous law code that probably some of you watching here or on and TV you, or online, you, you probably heard of the Code of Hammurabi. It's found in the Louvre in Paris, and on it, it has hundreds and hundreds of law codes, like 684 or something like that. And what they believed, and this was the Babylonians, they believed, unlike the Egyptians who said that Pharaoh was God, and the incarnation of God, they, they believed that the gods would grab a king and the king would go before the god and he would give him his law and he would take that law and share it throughout the land. And if you notice, do you see how his hands are up? This is just an interesting random fact. But the biblical concept for the lifting of holy hands is actually not this. It's actually this. Because when you would enter in the presence of God or enter in the presence of God, gods, you would, you would just be afraid that your breath would, would be impure before the God, and so you would hold up and cover your face and cover your hands so that you couldn't fully look at 
at that God. And I'm so grateful that Jesus has made a way that not only do I, do I have the privilege to not cover my face, but I can lift up my hands and we can come boldly before the, the throne of grace and we can walk boldly before his throne and we can find mercy for, for our help in time of need, for his forgiveness for the things that we come short in. And that is a good God and a good Savior to serve. He's the only God and the only Savior to serve. But look at how some of these ancient laws were just, some of them are similar to what you'd find, but some of them are just really messed up. For instance, this one, ladies, I'm on your side with this one. But the Code of Hammurabi said if somebody pointed the finger at a man's wife about another man, if she's accused of adultery, but she is not caught sleeping with the other man, she shall jump into the river for her husband's sake. How many of you say, uh, no? <laughs> Literally, in other words, not that you were even guilty, but the fact that you were accused of that, that you should just go drown yourself. I'm so grateful that God doesn't have those kinds of laws that are set up in the Old Testament. In fact, he gave a law with the drinking of the bitter water that basically said, we're going to put an end to this. If somebody accuses you, come before the priest, drink it. And if you are guilty, your womb dries up. If not, the issue is over. And if you ever try to throw it in your wife's face again, she could go... I went down there and I drank that cup before the priest in the presence of God. This argument's over. So while there were lots of laws that were just not great, especially for women, and especially things like the Code of Hammurabi, God from heaven stepped out and found a man by the name of Moses and got two stone tablets and simplified the whole thing and said, let's just distill it down to 10. Now, just to be accurate here, just to be accurate, there are a total of, don't ask me how I know this, there are a total of 613 commandments in the entire Old Testament, that, in, the, in the, the Torah, in the Old Testament. And in fact, the Jews always refer to that. When you, when you read Jewish literature, they'll talk about the 613 different things. But it really, as a society, as a culture, to live amongst each other, to claim that you're God's people, these were the big 10 that you would bear and wear through your life. And what's interesting about ancient law codes is, is that not only inside the Bible, but outside of the Bible, they had a rhythm to them. And now, if you are online, you're probably seeing that handout posted in the, in the text area. If you came in this morning, or even if you want it as you go, there's a handout with all of this info on there. But, but let me just walk through this, because it's just worth it. In order to understand God's law, you have to understand God's covenant. And every covenant in the ancient world was basically a loyalty oath where you would have a king, or in this case, we would have the king of kings who would say, I will be your God. I will go before you. I will give you promises. I will change your life. I will bless your life. I will do things for you that no one else will do. I will do things for you that you couldn't even do for yourself. You'll be blessed in your coming in and your going out as you rise, as you sit. I will bless your children and your children's children, and here's what I want to do. I want to set up a relationship with you, but there are some conditions. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, it's laid out clearly, although we could do this with Exodus, but at first it starts out with a preamble that says, who's making the covenant? And so in the, in the law, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And in the prologue, it would talk about how did they meet? Well, God met Moses, but then he met them and brought them out of Egypt. And then they would begin to give stipulations. These are, these are the laws. You shall not. You shall not. Or if you do this, I will do that. And they went through all these different laws. And stay with me on this because it's just, it's important. After that, they would have what's called sanctions. You see, there are two types of laws that you can get in, in the ancient world. There was what was called apodictic and causistic. Those are two fancy words that basically say apodictic, you could say absolutely not. You shall not. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. You shall not commit adultery. Those are what we call apodictic laws. They are straight. There's no wiggle room. There's no technicality. There's no excuses. It is an absolute direct apodictic law. The other kind were what were called causistic, and the word keeps the sound to it, cause and effect. If you do not clean your room, you will be grounded. 
If you do not do this, I will do that. But then if you do this, I'll do that. Somebody resonating with that, that grounded and clean your room kind of thing here? I hear some kids in the back talking. But listen to this. Listen to this real quick. If you go through Deuteronomy 27 and 28, chapter 27, God says this. If you will worship me, if you will follow my commands, I will bless you in your coming in and your going out. I'll bless you as you rise and as you sit. I will bless the work of your hands. I will bless the fruit of your labor. I will bless the fruit of your womb. I will bless your children and your children's children. And he goes on and on and on and on for over a chapter of just blessings that God has. But then he takes the same exact blessings and he flips them. And he says, however, if you do not do this, these cause and effect, causistic, I will have to curse your coming in and going out, curse your rising and your sitting, curse the work of your hand, curse the fruit of your labor, and on and on and on it goes. In other words, there's a cause and effect, a condition. It's not just, serving Jesus is not just Candyland minus the gumball marsh there, but it's, it's got conditions to it. He expects us to do what the Jews call halakha, the way of walking, literally to walk before the Lord. It says Enoch walked before God and then he was no more. This halakha, this living out the law of the Lord and to be who God's calling us to be. And here's the thing about the law in the Old Testament versus the law that we think of in our country. In our country, here's, here's a funky law. I'd never put it to the test as, so far, but supposedly if somebody invades your house and tries to hurt you and you kill them defending yourself if they're hanging halfway out your house or if they crawl out into the walkway or under the sidewalk you'll be charged with potentially with murder or manslaughter however if the person passes away inside your home it's considered self-defense what's the moral principle to the rule bring the body inside the house right no it, our law has all of these different nuances to them that you can literally cheat the system. You can totally do and be totally guilty of wrong, totally guilty of what you did, but if, say for instance, they went, the police department went about it the wrong way, they throw the case completely out. Even though you look at them and say, yeah, I did that, but the case is completely thrown out because of the compromise of evidence. That is not the way that God's law was. God's law in the Old Testament was paradynamic. In other words, God said, you shall not kill. And it was just straightforward and absolute. There's a crazy case that once happened. It was a fire insurance claim. This just shows the nature of the difference between God's law and the, the crazy law that we have in the country that we live. But this guy had a collection of cigars. I don't know about you, but like whenever I smell cigars, absolutely disgusting. I, it's just, they smell gross. Like the, you ever, anybody know like an old grandpa figure that smokes those old pipes, like the sweet pipe? I'd be like, that smells like a grandpa. That smells nice. And I could do that. But cigars just never, ever seemed appealing. But somehow they appeal so much to people that you can purchase some of these boxes for up to eighteen dollars to twenty to $30,000 for just one box of cigars. And so a man had collected tons and tons of very rare, famous cigars. In fact, there's one particular British cigar uh, that is the single cigar sold for $1.3 million. Like, who in the world's gonna do that? Like, just burn up in smoke, just wasting that much money. But that, that's the fact. That actually is how much these things can be worth in some cases, as nasty as that is. If, if you, well, if you're with me and you think that they smell nasty. But think of this first, this guy comes in, and he decides that he's going to smoke them. And so he smokes them, he goes through them, and then he files a claim with the insurance company, and he says, I'm putting in this claim, I have lost all of my cigars through small fires. <laughs> true story. This is a true story. He won the court case. He won the court case of all these cigars for small fires, and then after that, 
It turned around, and the, and, the, and the fire insurance company countersued him for arson, and they won all of the money back from him. <laughs> Somebody's happy about that, but... But here's the, thing about, here's the thing about laws versus God's law. God's law doesn't leave room, wiggle room for, for, for technicalities. He just comes in and he says, this is the way your life should be lived. Don't have any qualms about it. I don't care how you feel about it. I don't care what you think about it. If you want to enter into a relationship with me, there are some expectations that I have for you. And God wants us to know that the, the purpose of the cross of Jesus was that he could grace our shortcomings and our failures, but not give us a credit card so that we could rack up sin and live any way that we want. He's given us a way through Jesus Christ, and he's given us the power through Jesus Christ, that there's enough power in Jesus that every Everybody can live a holy life. There's a, let me say that one more time. There is enough power in Jesus for every single one of us to be able to live a holy life. And there is enough power in the cross, and it says this in, in one of Paul's epistles, I think it is, where he says this. He says, he has given us everything that we need for godliness in this life, for holiness, there's enough power. He says that he will never tempt us beyond what we can bear, but will give away for escape. The question is, is do we look for it? But here's the great part of who God is and who Jesus is. When we are not living a lifestyle of sin, but when we have a, a, a car accident with it, there is enough grace in Jesus. There are some conditions that he might have to set, but there are things that in, in the way that the cross works in our relationship that God says... You're my dysfunctional child, but you're still mine, and I love you. I keep you. Some of us listening and some of us watching online here know what it's like to have somebody who should love you, who should care for you, whether it was a parent or a mother or a father, and they didn't stay and look at you and say, I love you. They, they in fact, left a wound in your life, and they took off on you, and they haven't been back since. Or even just as bad, they've been in your life, but you don't know if they even like you, let alone love you. Jesus is not that person. He sees us faults and all and loves us where we're at, but he has given us his law not to ruin our fun, but to protect us from pain. So if you look at the covenants of the Bible, there are a whole bunch of them that, that God's given us. There's the the covenant that God made with Adam, and all of these are in these notes, and Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and David, and Christ giving us the new covenant. But let me just pause here on Abraham, just so that we can understand. Now again, we're saying here, we're going to look at these commandments, these five commandments, but I'm saying again and again that in order to understand God's law, you have to understand covenant. In chapter 15 in the book of Genesis, Abraham is with God. God has already told him in chapter 12, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And the great thing of this is, is that everything that God gave to Abraham were promises. There weren't any laws. The only law he gave him was this, walk before me and be perfect or be holy. Be, be in pursuit of being of the person that I am. Pursue me, chase me, walk after me. But God gave him all of these promises. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a kid. You're going to become a nation. You're going to, you're going to have, I'm going to bless your offspring. Um, this, your kids are going to be as many as the stars in the sky and the sands in the sea. And it was as impossible as can be, but that's how God's, God's promises work. God looks in an impossible situation. God looks into your impossible circumstances. And he says, that might be what the situation is, but I'm going to bless you in the middle of that cursed situation. And when people say, it can't happen, I'll make it happen. That's who God is to us. When was the last time you grabbed onto a promise from heaven? I feel like COVID has just created this whole environment where we're just kind of like, oh, I just hope we get out again, and I just, you know, I God, and believe me, there are some real impacts that have happened to our culture, to our economy, but, but we, we need a reset. We need to reset and remember that, that God is good, that this is a day the Lord's made, and every other day this week, this month, this year, that God's plans for you are to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future, and it's time that we, like, just shake off 
the, the, uh, it's like we have a preset news broadcast in our spirit when we wake up every morning because of COVID. You know, watch out, be careful, look out, and don't, don't get me wrong, we, we have been in total compliance all along, but co come on, like, like somehow, like my wife gets, she, she gets out to home goods every once in a while. You're getting out to those places that you can get out to. It's time that we start d just beginning to reframe how we think about situations and begin to get joy back in our spirit because God has promises and he's going to follow through with it. We're not going to live in this situation forever. But here's what happened with Abraham. God said, here are all the promises I'm going to give you. And then he, took, he told Abraham, he said, take a goat, cut it in half, and move the, the half side by side. Take an ox. And he did it with an ox. And then he did it with a sheep. And he, he went through all these animals. And then normally what would happen in a covenant is, is that the two people that were making a covenant, whether it was a king and a, and a, and a vessel and a servant, or God and his people, what would happen is, is that that they two of them would walk down the middle of this aisle of animals cut in half, and they would say all of the different commandments and all the different conditions that they have on each other. If I need you for war, you'll come. If I, if, uh, you, will, you will give your loyalty to me. And, and the king would be like, and my forces are there to protect you, and I'll watch over you. And when there's famine, we'll dip into my storehouse and make sure that your family's fed. And you would walk through, and then when they got to the other side, they'd look back at all those animals, and they would say, if I fail to uphold my end of the bargain, may I become like these animals. In other words, justice was not papers that you were getting sued. Justice in the ancient world was that, that that person had the right to collect on your, your unfaithfulness and your breach of that, that relationship contract by cutting you in half. Like, that's a little bit more powerful than a notary impression. Think about that. And then after they did that, and they went through the curses and the blessings and all of this, then they would have witnesses, and then they would create the laws, or they would already have created, usually chiseled in stone or pressed into to, to clay, and they would put a copy of it out for everybody to see, and then sometimes they would make two copies. One would go underneath a building or underneath a king's throne, and then the rest would be out there for the people to see, and this is how the ancient world lived life, and they did it. They'd have those conditions. And I'm so grateful for Jesus because while Adam had a covenant, Noah had a covenant, Abraham had a covenant, Moses brought us the covenant we're looking at here, David had a covenant, Jesus has brought us a covenant as well, and it's a powerful one. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, we're celebrating communion to remember every single time that it wasn't a cow that we cut in half, and it wasn't a, a sheep that we cut in half, and it wasn't a goat that we cut in half, but it was the body of Jesus Christ that was beaten, bloodied, and God walked through with us and said, this is my commandment that you love one another, that your joy may be full, that you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you love your neighbor yourself and what God said is, is in return what I'm going to do is forgive your sin I'm going to I'm going to resurrect this world we're not going to recycle it we are going to recreate it and you're going to be resurrected in it and you are going to be with me forever in eternity and so help me me I'll do it but the hard part of this is that while God is always faithful to his covenant and his laws and his word, we tend to struggle significantly. And this is what makes really the, the law of the cross, the covenant of the cross, so powerful. It's not a license to sin, but God always gives us an opportunity to take us back in brokenness, in humility, in sincerity, in honesty. Now, Paul, in our 
simple gospel series, we talked about how Paul said, shall I go on sitting so that grace can abound? No way. Like, hey, in other words, somebody sits back and they say, well, listen, if God's going to forgive me when I break his law, then, you know, there's as much grace. So the more I sin, the more God's grace. So let's really get this going because, man, this is a great deal. I could sin really bad. He could forgive me really good. He's a good savior. I'm a bad sinner. And we get the best of both worlds. And then Paul writes kind of afterwards, he goes, they're kind condemnations deserved. You see, the grace of God is not something that we, we take for granted or that we say that it's always there and I'm good and I can always run back because you never know in that last moment where you've gone too far that you can never find your way back. And God knows how to find his lost lambs, doesn't he? He does. But having said all of this, let me say some of that which I have down here with these commands. Let's look here, chapter 20 of Exodus, and we'll be done literally in 15 minutes. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There's that preamble and that prologue. Who's there? God and his people. How did they meet? He brought them out. This is, I could read through hundreds of these. I could give you the translations in English, but why waste your time? Over and over again, this is how these things ran. And now he starts with his commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers, on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day a Sabbath to the Lord your God, or uh, on it you... You shall not do work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and on them and all of them and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then after that are the other five. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet the ones that Pastor Dylan covered last week. So let's look at a couple of these and let's tie this off with some hope. I think we're all sunk on the honor your mother and father here, right? How many of you can raise your hand and say, I never disrespected my parents, especially when I was 13? Right. I, there's a reason why 13 is just an unlucky number. I've come to find adolescence is that reason right there. Look at the first one here. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And then look at, look at how it's framed here. You shall not bow down to them or worship them or serve them. I could spend a lot of time on this because this is usually where most people get stuck. Like, like uh, No idols. Sorry about that. I'm going out of sequence here. But if you... Let me put this up here real quick. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So this is commandment two, but since we just hit it, let's start with it here. So this is where we could talk about how in the New Testament the Bible says greed is as the sin of idolatry. Um, And we could go on and on in that. Uh, But I like what Martin Luther said. He really sums this problem up. He says, don't worship that which should be used, nor should you use that which should be worshipped. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's always been a, a moment in our life, at least once, where we manipulated people, where we used people to our own advantage, uh, to bring about an outcome that we wanted, said the right things at the right moment, did the right things, showed up at the right place at the right time. And that's, that's, 
really idolatry was manipulation in the ancient world. They would offer sacrifices to other gods because the God of Israel wasn't producing fast enough. And I think in our culture and in our country, I think the biggest image that we've recreated is the image of God within us, where God's not working fast enough and he's not doing things the way we want him to, so we get busy and we get chiseling in our life and we get shaping in our life and we try to shake our circumstances and we try to control the outcomes. Wonderful quote I heard this week that said this, said you, can't ha- you cannot control what happens to you and you cannot control what will happen to you, but you can control the way you frame and look at those things. And sometimes part of the problem of idolatry and self-idolatry and the image, in fact, the word that God uses for you and me when he made Adam and Eve, he said he made man and woman his idol. In other words, you want to see what God looks like, look to the person to your left and to your right. But what happens is, is that sometimes we worship the thing that should be used and use the thing that should be worshiped. And that's why it says that sometimes greed is his idolatry because we want to serve ourselves. We want to bring out the best and the most pleasurable thing for ourselves, and God condemns that. Let me go back here to this one. Kind of lost my groove on this. You shall have no other gods before me. I love how one of my pastors once said this, God must be first. God, has, God can't be first in your life. Listen to me again. It sounds like a contradiction. God cannot be first in your life. The reason is this, is because if there's a number one, there will be a number two and a number three and a number four and a number five. And there have been, you know, everybody says, God first, family second, ministry last. And by, and by the way, I'd say, God first, family second, Ministry third, us last. Those are, everybody is so big on me time, but if you read the New Testament for what it is, Jesus is talking about that we sacrifice, but we don't sacrifice our family in the process. So we need to put God always first, and if the Lord says something, we do it. But then after that, we serve our family, we serve others, and then after that, we serve the, the people around us, and then after that, we have that phase where we come last. We're the servant of all. That's what God calls us to be. But he says to me, you can have no other gods before me. That's really hard to understand in English because we think it's numeric. You can't have this one before that one, before that one, before that one. In other words, you can have God first, but don't let anything compete with me. No, the word before, before me literally means, it's the word that says, do not put in my face, do not bring before my face any other God because there is none. There's only one God and one creator. There's only one savior and one that deserves to be worshiped. There's only one that deserves the preeminent place in our life, and his name is Jesus, the King of Kings, who not only looked at you and me and said, worship me, but then turned around and said, let me serve you. He's the one to be praised. He's the one, and and when we bring in things, whether it's ourself or our goals or our our, our life, there are so many people that have put things before God, and I, I, I just challenge you, you know what? You, there are some moments in life you just can't recapture, but you'll never catch them if you don't put Jesus in the first place in your life. He is the great, the great orchestrator of our life. He knows how to get us into a home. He knows how to give us a family. He knows how to bring us a spouse. He knows how to build us a career. He knows how to provide for our needs, and God must be first in our life. There's no other gods before him. I love how Mark Batterson said it in one of his books. He said, either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. God must be first. No idols. Third one is this. Where is it? So sorry. Uh, I didn't have a slide for this one. Oops, we'll correct that. Right here in... You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless 
the one who takes his name in vain. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. We'll just leave this right where it is. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What, is, what, is, what does that mean? Well, we usually kind of instantly translate it into taking the name of Jesus and making it a curse word, right? Like nobody walks around and stubs their toe and goes, ah! You know, Uncle Phil. <laughs> ah! You know, my boss! Nobody like slams a hammer on their hand and goes, ah! Donald Trump! Joe Biden. Like, nobody does that. Why? But why is it that we take the name that is above every name and we drag it down to a, a curse word, like the epitome of filth, and say, oh my God. Or, forgive me, and I say it in reverence, Jesus Christ. And we've reduced his name to a curse. But it's not fully, although that covers what it says, it's not fully what it it means he says you shall not take my name in vain another what that really means is you shall not lift up my name for any useless purpose everywhere in the bible when you see the name of the lord it's it says i am the lord and it's always capital l-o-r-d and the reason it's like that is because the jewish people would never pronounce the name yahweh ever the only time that it was done was once a year by the high priest in the Holy of Holies, always in that place, they always substituted it with the name Adonai because they considered that name, the name of the Lord, the name Yahweh, the name that God gave to be sacred and holy and powerful. And it is amazing to me how easy it is in our average everyday life to take the frustrations of of life and mix it with the turning God into a casual name, and we just flippantly throw it around like, oh Lord, you know, and, uh, and we just, where the Jewish people will not even write out his name completely. In fact, in school, my wife, when she was teaching in school, there was a young Jewish girl, and every time she wrote the word God, lowercase g-o-d, she would write G. D. She wouldn't even write it out. The Jewish people wouldn't even write it out. They wouldn't even say that name. They would just say the name, or they would say Adonai, because they had so much reverence for it. Now, what's the big deal? It's kind of like, all right, I know I want to give God respect, and I want to treat him, but like, where is this? Well, you got to go back to Moses in Exodus 13, verse 14, and God, Moses says to God, hey, listen, I know you want to use me. I know you want me to exit us out of Egypt, and I know you want to do good things, but, but how do I, who do I even tell them sent me? Like, Egypt is filled with hundreds of gods. Who should I tell them sent me? And he says to him this, he says, tell them I am that I am. See, up until this point, God was not referred to in that way. You see the name Adonai or Elohim used, but all of a sudden God throws down his name twice. Tell them, I am that I am. Like, what is it? Sounds like Shakespeare, right? To be or not to be, that is the question. But if you understand Hebrew, and if you understand any language, every language in the world has a verb of existence. I am. I exist. In Greek, me. In Hebrew, Hayah. And then just put a little mark in front of it, a little vav in the front of that verb of existence, and take it and turn it into a name, and you have the name Yahweh. God's name means I bring into existence. I exist. In other words, it's all He's, what he's saying of himself as he's saying this is I am that I am. I always was, I always am, I always will be, and anything that comes into existence in this world is a result of me. Well, that almost kind of sounds a little confusing until you go back and realize that at this point there's no book of Exodus, there's no book of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's no epistles of Paul. There's nothing except a group of slaves in misery every night, weeping in agony, sitting around the campfires, and the only hope that they would have would be to begin to retell these stories that in the beginning, 
there was God. And he looked out and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And you know what's amazing about that word where God says, let there be, guess what it is? It's the same verb that's used to make the name of God. So this is why it was so important. I'd grab this real quick and let me tighten it out because I feel like I even lost myself on that. This is what's powerful. God says, I am my name means to bring into existence. I always have been, I always am, and I always will be. Anything that has, was, and is, and is to come has come from me. And when he creates the world, when he creates the universe, God does the greatest name-dropping session in the history of the universe. He creates the entire universe with the action that his entire name is based on. In other words, God says, let there be Yahweh light, and there was light. Let there be Yahweh land, and there was land. Let there be, and now listen, there is nothing that says that you have to be a six-day literal creation person or a theistic evolution. There is a condition that we have to acknowledge that God is the creator of the universe, that God is the one that is behind that work, and I, th I don't think that that's a condition necessary for salvation. I know lots of people that are out there that think different things, but what you have to understand is, is that however it happened, whenever it happened, wherever it happened, the way that it happened, happened by God speaking his name and bringing those things into existence. He name-dropped it. That's like a, the ultimate credit card, right? We have some people that are trying to get the platinum card and the, the metal card, you know. Oh, man, when I finally get that, that's going to be like... And God says, who cares about that card? You just throw my name around, and I'll make things happen. And this is where it's incredible. It's because God, his name is put before every single one of these names in the Old Testament. We say Jehovah. It, it, the better pronunciation is Yahweh. But he says Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? God provides where there is no provision. Some of you are here, some people are going to be watching this morning and saying, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And God says, will you trust me? I'm the God that brings into existence something from nothing. You might be here this morning and you might have had the filthiest week of your life. And God comes in and he says, Yahweh Tzidnaku, the Lord your righteousness. Where there is no righteousness in your life, God brings righteousness into your life. Hear it, where there is none, God creates. For so many of my friends fighting cancer and illness and aging, he says, Jeho Yahweh, I'll say Jehovah because we've said it like that, Jehovah Rapha, I'm the Lord that heals you. Where there is no healing, I bring healing. And God says to his children, I am that I am. Why is it that we reduce his name to a curse word? And in his covenant relationship with us, he says, please do not play with my name. I created the universe. Don't take it up for vain use. You know what happens is, is that familiarity breeds contempt. Just like anybody that we know, we begin to take them for granted. And then we begin, whether we are in church a long time or whether we've been in a cynical or a difficult place in life for a long time, you begin to mix that with God and you begin to devalue him so that now you've taken his name and instead of being like a culture in Judaism that, that won't even write his name out, the privilege that only a priest could say once a year, one person for the entire nation, we're able to say his name. And he says, I have given him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. This is why we honor God's name. God says, if you want to have a relationship with me, you need to know, don't bring any gods before my face. They don't exist. Please don't try and make any idols or worship them or serve them. I'm God alone. Direct it in the right direction vertically to me in relationship horizontally to your fellow man who's created in my image. Make sure that you don't serve your dreams and your goals above your God. Make sure that you don't serve yourself above your neighbor. Make sure that I'm in that place, but when you're going through, please do me a favor. Remember that I'm the God that created the universe with my name and do not take it for granted.
And he goes on and he says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath, look at what it says there, Sabbath to the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath. That word remember really means to commemorate, to reflect on, to remember, like how we have Memorial Day. We shut down for the day. One of the coolest things about Israel, if, for those of you that are going in October, any of you that would go, and by the way, that trip is open to more people if you'd like to come, but that, the thing that's amazing about it is, is that over there, on the Sabbath, on Saturday, everything shuts down. I mean, everything shuts down. In fact, the elevators, one of them, if you really want to be pious Jew, you can take the automatic elevator that you don't have to press any buttons, you just hop in it, but you have to stop at every floor as it goes down. They even have in the bathroom pre-ripped toilet paper so that you don't have to labor to rip the toilet paper. That's how, in, that's how committed they are. I remember back in the day where there were the um, blue-collar laws where everything used to be shut down on Sundays, and then it was just liquor stores, and then that's come and gone, and we, we don't even have that. When the Romans invaded Israel, they said that there were a couple of things that just amazed them about their people. First was that there was no idol in their temple, no, no carved image in their temple. The second was a sea that, that nothing sank in, everything floated, the Dead Sea. And then lastly was this, there was a day where nobody worked. It was like, they're like, what? Are you, help me understand this. Like why? And, and what's interesting is, is that the word Shabbat or Sabbath, as we say it in English, it literally means this, stop. Please stop. Stop what you're doing. Cease from what you're doing. Desist from what you're doing. Please stop it. You are a machine that was created to work six days like an animal with sweat and blood, but must take one day to recuperate completely one day to recuperate. And the reason why some of you in this place do not have peace in your life is, is that you still have not learned how to do that. Now here's where all of a sudden people are like, well, praise the Lord, this one's for me. I, I need some me time because man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. And that is correct because God created the world, the universe in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. He didn't need to rest, but he chose to rest. And he set that day aside to be holy. That word in Hebrew, Kadesh, means literally to remove it from ordinary use. In other words, it's a day that you stop using it for your ordinary, taking care of you, taking care of work. To, and it's treated with special care. And it literally also means belonging to the sanctuary. In other words, it's a holy day. It's a separate day. It's a day that is not given to us, but it is a Sabbath to the Lord. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is to the Lord. The word that's put in front of a Sabbath to the Lord, it's a, it's a Hebrew uh, word, la, which literally means to, to the Lord, for the Lord towards the Lord. It's not a day that is like, I'm just going to kick back. I need a Sabbath. There are people that take Sabbath from church constantly. That's not even biblical. That's not even covenantal. It is a day that we are to stop and to put our attention on the one who provides every opportunity, meets every need, provides every miracle, who always was, is, and is to come. It's not about getting a petty and a medi. It's not about kicking back and going to whatever and you know, clicking on the TV and having that barbecue or whatever. But God says, if you're going to be in relationship with me, if we're going to do life together, if we're going to have a covenant relationship, yeah, I mean, if I were to pick those things, I would, be, I would pick different stuff. I wouldn't be thinking of like, take my name seriously. I wouldn't be thinking of stuff like, I need a day each week from you. But think about that. The sacrifice in our American culture that is so insanely driven. We'd rather give money than time. And it says that we give it to the Lord. Now, the good thing about this is, is that in their exceptions, you know, and those are all laid out in there, and I'm not going to reflect on this long, but ministry, getting something to eat, unexpected crises, moving things necessary for your life, 
teaching, healing, doing good, saving lives. I mean, like God's a practical God. But how many of you, when was the last time you said, I'm blocking off Sunday for the Lord and for my family, and I'm gonna talk about the Lord with my family. And we're gonna get together with other families and talk about the Lord together. Shabbat in Israel is such an awesome thing and it's so sad to watch the American church not grab this commandment that God has for all of us. Sabbath is that day when your work's done even if it isn't. Sabbath is that day where you make God the point and not yourself. Sabbath is that day where you point to God and you point others to him. You were designed to work six days hard but it only works if you take one day to focus still upon him. And we wonder why there's no peace in our life. We wonder why we feel broken. We wonder why things aren't making sense. Last one here, I'm gonna close with this. Honor your father and your mother. It's not the same as obey, like in Colossians 3.20, it says, children, obey your parents, and that is correct. And it literally, it means hupo akuo. It means to come underneath the hearing of your parents. Your parents, you hear them, they say it, you do it, period, that's it. Hupo akuo. But how do I honor my parents? I'm a full-grown man. Well, what's interesting is, is that word honor in the Hebrew means to give weight of importance. It was the same word that was used when somebody was given value and valor, that they would pour gold upon them. They'd weigh them down with necklaces of gold because they valued them so much. I'll never forget my grandfather when I was a kid. He, he was from Ireland. He came over at 18. And I remember growing up with him living on the top floor of an apartment house that we lived in, and we were in the basement. And he would take me out all the time. He was as Irish as they came. I, I, he used to drive me nuts because every time the ice cream man came, I'd be like, Grandpa, ice cream! And then he'd have to tell me the story about chasing a leprechaun and following the rainbow. And then by the time he finally gave me the money, it was like the ice cream man was gone. And that's why I'm angry at my grandfather to this day. But I'll never forget this. It's burned in my memory. There was a kid across the street screaming at his mom, just totally disrespectful disrespecting her and my grandfather just brought me up to the stone wall he said you wait here right here lad for a second he had that thick he sounded like the lucky charms guy and he walked over and he said excuse me ma'am so good to see you and he turned and he looked at the kid and he says you have no right talking to your mother like that do you know how much she cares about you and serves you and don't you ever talk to your mother like that i wouldn't even talk to an enemy like that She's your mom, not your enemy. You apologize to her. And he, he like made this kid like apologize to his mom and like, like all of a sudden he's like, you take her hand and you walk her down the street like a man and you, walk, you stop insulting your mom and you start looking out for her. I'll never forget that. And I get it. Like I have this thing in my house. You can disapprove, but you can't disobey. Jesus said it like this. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like we never have angst in our life or we never have frustration, but, but look at how Jesus put it. He said there are two sons, and the father says, go out into the field and work the field. And the first one said, no way. Peace. And he takes off. The second one says, oh, father, of course I will. Thank you. And he slips off with his friends, disappears. The one who said no is given thought to it, and he's like, all right, and he gets out there and he does the work the father asks. And Jesus asks the question, he says, which of these two sons did the will of his father? He said, the one that did what he said. So we always say this to my kids. I said, you know what? You're allowed a little bit disgruntled, to be disgruntled once in a while, but what you can't is not do what I ask you to do. That's honoring your parents, but what do you do when you're, when you're grown up? And I'll never forget, I was going down the road and I was trying to solve a problem. I didn't know what to do. I picked up the phone and I started talking to my dad. And my dad was like, man, Paul, you, you know, God will help you. And he hung up. And I called him back and I was like, hey, dad, you know what? I figured that situation out. It worked out. And he, he was like, way to go, kid. He says, I knew that God would help you. And uh, I'm proud to call you my son. And I hung up. And all of a sudden I was like, 
why don't I just start calling my father all the time? And it's a regular habit, twice a week. Now I'm blessed that I have a father to call, and I'm blessed that I have a good relationship with him, but I call my parents about twice a week, not because I'm attached by an umbilical cord, I'm an independent, full-grown man, but I honor them, and I bless them. And right while we're here, my son's down there helping them this weekend. So let me wrap this up real quick. What about me as a believer in Jesus Christ? Where's the relevance of God's law for me? I can't even read that. That's my bad, sorry. Where's the relevance of God's law? Let me read this. In Romans 7, 7, I've got these bright, shining lights. It says, yet if you have not been, uh, had it not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. In other words, what is the law there for? It's like an umpire that blows the whistles and says, hey, you're off sides. It's easy to lose your way. It's easy to, to deviate from the path. But the law of God in all of these is vertical because God is... Cho- how, do, how does honoring your mother and father have to do with, with a vertical relationship? I mean, isn't that me honoring my parents? No. In honoring God, God says, you honor authority. You honor those that are above you. You honor those that live and love you, those that care and serve you, so that that perpetually works its way through every family of your family for generations to come. That's how you honor me. You honor me in the cycle of respect for one another, and you honor me in that I am your heavenly Father, and that I put this law here not to rub your face in it, but to show you what is right and what's wrong, because we'll redefine the lines constantly. And that, as Pastor Dylan said in Matthew 22, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you might say, well, what good is the law? We're preaching about the Old Testament. Jesus came and set me free from the law. That's not what Jesus meant. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, but I kind of condense it right here. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And literally, the translation for that means to uphold and to properly interpret it. Jesus wasn't saying, I've shown up, I've died now, don't worry about, you just go about killing. That makes no sense. I've come and I've come into your life and now I'm your savior. Don't worry about stealing. You don't have to feel guilty about it anymore. That makes absolutely no sense. But when you look at it and God says, I'm God, I'm your father, I love you. And when you, when your sinful nature gets the best of you, I have a way for you to be forgiven. But what I want you to do is stop living your life that way and start living your life right way and allow my grace to continue to give you the power you need to walk out these commandments. Because if you keep these 10 and your life, you're not going to be losing out on fun. You're going to be losing out on pain. My friend from, uh, I'm going to ask Janine if he'd come up as we close here. My friend in Israel, his name is, his name is Moshe, which is actually Moses, but he owns a, a store, a jewelry shop. He's an awesome guy. He teaches at one of the universities in Israel. He's um, just really unique guy, and he does some of the best conversations with Christians and Jews. I love bringing my Christian friends to his shop because we usually lock the door. He shuts it, closes the shop, and begins to talk about Judaism and Christianity and talks about how we talk at each other and not with each other. Now, understand my prayer for, for Moshe is, is that he would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to get to the Father. But one of the great things that he's done for me is to help me understand God's law in ways that just never seemed to make sense before. He talked, about, he talked about this. He says, you Christians look at me and you say, you, you guys, you guys you're, you're trapped. You're in bondage to the law. You, you're, you're prisoners to it. You know, you, he says, I'm not a prisoner to it. He goes, he goes, you talk about your freedom in Jesus, but I've got freedom in my beloved God. He said, let me explain it to you this way. In Song of Solomon, chapter 7, it says this, I am my beloved and my beloved's desire is towards me. He said, when my wife was pregnant, she was, she was craving oranges in the middle of the night. It was like about two in the morning. He said, where we were living, there were just no stores open. 
But my wife was just like, ah, I just want an orange. She was just going crazy. And he said, he just said, I'll be right back. Hops in the car, drives off. He comes back in the house and he pulls out this giant basket bushel of oranges. And she's like, whoa. It's like, what is this? All these oranges. I can't eat all of them. And he said, sweetheart, I just wanted to outdo what you wanted because I love you. I wanted to outdo the desire of my beloved. And he said, if God's desire is for me to honor his name, to keep him first, to set a day aside for him, not to myself, but to him, to honor my parents, to not use his name in a casual way, I don't want to just make my God happy. I want to outdo his desire. And so I bring him a bushel full of obedience to allow him to be who he needs to be in my life. This, uh, this year, we, I was in Newport before, just as the summer problems had lifted, and we went out. In fact, I was with the Rouse. We went to the, the Newport Car Museum. It's one of the greatest. There's probably more value in cars there than like gold in Fort Knox. Is just warehouse full of everything. And I just grabbed one shot that we had of, of, I think this is a Lamborghini. I couldn't even tell you. I'm not one of those guys that's like, yeah, I love that, you know, that Ford Mustang, eight cylinder. You know, I couldn't even tell you anything about it. I'm like, the thing is fast. <laughs> and uh, I'll make you nervous when I drive. But, but, and I, I, I picked this place because it's a perfect example of a, a modern telling of an old Jewish parable. A, the Jews see the law of God as a fence to protect the Torah from being violated. And so in order for God to keep his people holy, he created fences around them so that they, that they might be able to live. I mean, if, if sin is over here, why do I want to live my life on the edge and think that sooner or later an accident's not going to happen? So why don't I put a fence here? And instead of that, why don't I put a fence there? And so picture with me the fences that exist at this museum. They have barbed wire and electrified metal fences along with car posts so that you can never drive straight through that fence. You can see them about knee high below the, below the tree, but you, even if you busted through the fence, first of all, it's electrical. Secondly, the posts that are there keep a car from driving through it, so it's not like you can blast through it there. And then even if you got past that, you'd have to get through the barriers that they have that pull up in case there's ever a warning or an alarm goes off. It makes it impossible for any of the vehicles that are in the warehouse to get out of it. And even if you were able to do that and have a plan around that, you would have to get past the entire laser beam security that goes throughout the entire building. I mean, it's an impossible task. And so imagine with me that a thief comes and he figures out every step. He figures out how to get through that fence and that electrical fence. He, 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 he busts the power to it. And then he figures out how that when the alarm goes off that the barriers won't go up. And he sets that in place. And then he figures out a way somehow to get through all of those lasers and he shuts it off. And as he's about to hop inside of his nice, new, wonderful Lamborghini that he is going to peel out of the building with, the police show up. And they say, get out of the car and put your hands up. And he says, what am I under arrest for? I didn't steal the car. They said, no, sir, but you jumped the fences. Why does God have these different laws and things around us? Because what God does is, is he knows how easy it is for us to fall into sin. And so he's created a fence around our lives, not to ruin fun, but to keep us from pain. I was an exceptional and an incredibly corrupt thief. And I'll never forget the lesson that I learned when I walked from house to house confessing item after item that I stole, looking at multiple felonies, going to companies with a pastor who said he's just become a Christian and, and waiting for them to press charges. No charges were pressed ever by the grace of God. It wasn't that God was trying to ruin my fun by me taking what I couldn't afford. He was trying to keep me from pain or adultery. 
covetousness, probably the most emptiest sin in the universe, always wanting something that you never get, never being happy with what you've got. Why does God put these laws and rules around us? To keep us from pain. Because God wants to be our healer. He wants to be our hope. And here's the beautiful thing. The covenant that he makes with us is a covenant where he didn't cut animals. He cut himself. He bled himself. And he went through the middle himself and said, listen, even if you can't keep this, my grace is going to be sufficient for you if you come to me in mercy, in humility, and I'll restore you. Maybe when I go through those, some of these, you've got an angst against a parent or family member that has gone unreconciled so long you can't even remember what the reason is why you're mad at them, but you're still mad at them. It's not God's will that you stay in that place. Maybe you've made leisure or your life your God. Maybe you've never even considered that God asks of you if he's going to be your Lord that saves you for all eternity, that he asks one day of each week for the rest of your life because he's your God. Maybe it's not on these. Maybe it's into the other one of you shall not kill. Premeditated cold blood and killing. God is a God of murderers and thieves and adulterers as much as he is Sabbath breakers, name droppers, and idolaters. And he calls us into relationship with him and he sets the boundaries clearly. What if this was the year that you lived biblically? That you said, God, I don't want to just take your blessings. I want to outdo the desire of my beloved in obedience. I want to bring you bushels of obedience this year. I want to change the way that I deal with people. And I want to change the way that I deal with you. And I believe as we stand here this morning, if you would, I'd like to pray a prayer as that we would make a covenant with God here this morning. That 2021 would be the year of us living in covenant with God. That we'd give actually attention to the thing that many Christians think we're completely freed from is law. Not as a, not as a, a, a burden, not as a, not as a bondage, but as a way to bless him with a bushel of obedience just like that husband blessed his wife with oranges, to outdo. Say, God, I'm gonna outdo it. I want you to know I love you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We come before you. I just hear, Lord, this morning, the, the word of David, the law of the Lord is perfect. I hear the voice of Jesus. My Father, I delight to do your will. Lord, we come before you today, and, and many times we, we come to church and we look for what we're going to receive from you, but we forget that we call this an altar because an altar is a place where we give to you. We don't get from you, but we just give to you this morning. We give you our, our sinfulness. We give you, Lord, today the lack of attention that we've thought, how can I bless God back? How can I honor him? How can I praise him? How can I, how can I outdo the, the desire of my beloved? Lord, how is it that I can run through an entire week, never give you thought, never pause, and wonder why my life lacks peace? Father, we give back to you this morning a desire. We can't say to you today that we're going to keep it perfect. But our desire is to do your will. And so, Lord, I pray that your grace would fill in the blanks in our life and your spirit would empower us to do the will of the Father, to live holy, to live for you. And I just thank you for a church of people that are making that commitment here this morning as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Bless him, outdo his desire. Thank you for staying here later. This always tells me I need to trim my message big time before next service, but the Lord loves you and his law is not a burden. Outdo him, outdo his desire, bless him. And know that his grace is not looking over you for perfection. It's just looking for the right direction. His grace is sufficient for you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning.